We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 770 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, February 26, 2024. It is the first day of the 2024 NFL Scouting Combine. It is happening officially from this Monday, February 26, through next Monday, March 4th. Again, is happening at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. The actual combine drills are not starting until this Thursday, February 29th. And when it comes to who we as Commanders fans care about the most regarding this combine, the quarterbacks, uh, they will be doing press conferences this Friday, March 1st, and will be doing drills this Saturday, March 2nd. But Combine Week is about so much more than just drills and measurements. Uh, Combine Week also is about reports and rumors and uh, scuttlebutt. Uh, Combine Week is like a big NFL convention. Executives, coaches, and reporters all gather in Indy. There are many gatherings at restaurants and bars and clubs. Uh, There are many conversations that are had after drinks are consumed. (laughs) And so prepare yourself for some juicy NFL gossip this week. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, something that is not gossip, but is instead stone-cold fact, is that the NFL salary cap for the upcoming league year, the 2024-2025 league year, has soared. The NFL on Friday afternoon announced that the salary cap for the 2024-2025 league year will be a record $255.4 million, a record increase of $30.6 million from the salary cap of $224.8 million for the 2023-2024 league year. And so the commanders, who already were poised to have the most salary cap space in the NFL this offseason, now we'll have even more cap space. Next segment, a great guest, pro football-focused salary cap analyst Brad Spielberger. We will preview 
free agency for the commanders from the standpoint of external free agents who might be appealing to our team given all of this cap space. As free agency truly begins in just two weeks, the NFL's legal tampering period begins on Monday, March 11th. Additionally, Brad and I will discuss the commander's revamping of football operations, including what he thinks about the new look front office with Adam Peters as general manager and Lance Newmark as assistant general manager. And Brad and I will get into the perceived top quarterbacks in the 2024 NFL draft in which the commanders have the number two overall pick. Uh, Brad, who is a fan of the team with the number one overall pick in the 2024 draft, the Chicago Bears, will give his thoughts on USC quarterback Caleb Williams, North Carolina quarterback Drake May, and LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels. Brad Spielberger, who is awesome at talking NFL, especially from a salary cap slash contract perspective, will be with us for an in-depth Commander's Conversation next segment. Also on the show, the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. I'll talk Capitals off their 3-2 overtime loss at the Florida Panthers on Saturday night. The Caps did blow a 2-1 third period lead, but they did get a point in playing at one of the best teams in the NHL. I'll talk Wizards, whose losing streak now is at 11 games. Friday night, a 1-1. 47 106 loss at the Oklahoma City Thunder. Sunday evening, a 114 105 loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers at Capital One Arena. And I'll talk college basketball wins for Maryland and Georgetown, losses for Virginia and Virginia Tech. Maryland won for just the fourth time in 11 games, a 63-46 win at Rutgers on Sunday afternoon. Georgetown snapped its 11-game losing streak, a 77-76 win at DePaul on Saturday evening, as yes, the Hoyas won. As our good friend, the legendary radio voice of the Hoyas, Rich Botkin says, Hoyas win! 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 Yes, Rich, thank you. Hoyas win, but Virginia lost for a third time in four games, a 54-44 loss to number 10 North Carolina at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia on Saturday. And Virginia Tech lost for a fifth time in seven games, a 79-64 loss at Pitt on Saturday evening. Before we get to some feedback, a few items. Uh, First of all, Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN, he wrote an ESPN.com piece that came out on Saturday morning. Headline, quote, how the Washington Commanders hired Dan Quinn as head coach, end quote. Some interesting nuggets in the piece. The piece says that the commanders separated their head coaching candidates into tiers and that both Dan Quinn and Detroit Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson were among the commanders at tier one head coaching targets. Uh, The piece says that the commanders also liked then Los Angeles Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris, who ended up becoming the Atlanta Falcons head coach. I do wonder if the Falcons had not hired Morris, if he might now be the commander's head coach, because there has been a lot of praise for Morris, and he does fit this idea of leadership that Adam Peters has espoused. Uh, The piece says that the commanders found out about Ben Johnson tapping out of the head coaching cycle for the 2024 offseason while flying to the Detroit area to interview Johnson and Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn via social media. 
and not via text, as has been reported. Quote, while the committee members were en route, Johnson texted them to say he had decided to stay with the Lions. According to multiple people involved, because Johnson texted when they were in the air, they found out about his decision via social media before his text went through a sequence that irked the commander's delegation, end quote. So the commanders found out about the Ben Johnson cancellation, not by a mid-flight text, but by a mid-flight social media viewing. That's even worse (laughs) than finding out via mid-flight text. Uh, And this piece addresses whether the commanders offered their head coaching job to then-Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, as has been reported. Quote, the commanders also liked McDonald, but after their interview with Glenn on Tuesday, January 30th, they wanted to have more internal conversations about the candidates. However, they, the following morning, Morning learned McDonald was flying to Seattle for a second in-person interview with the Seahawks. Washington called to see if McDonald was still interested in its opening, but after talking to him, the group knew it was a matter of time before he got the Seattle job. Indeed, he was named the Seahawks coach several hours later, end quote. Uh, The piece certainly paints the picture that Dan Quinn was a strong head coaching candidate for the commanders throughout the search, though I don't know that anyone really disputes that at this point. The question has been, was he the person who the commanders most wanted to be their head coach? But I tell you, something that has become quite clear is that the commanders in this head coaching search stuck to a process. And the process was deliberate and measured and took a while and perhaps cost the commanders getting people they wanted in Mike McDonald and Raheem Morris. But the process did identify Dan Quinn as a strong head coaching candidate. Uh, Well, among those who the commanders in their head coaching search reportedly interviewed uh, was their assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator for this past season, Eric Enemy. And our friend EB now has a new job. Uh, He reportedly is becoming UCLA's associate head coach slash offensive coordinator. That news broke on Saturday evening. Biennemi was at UCLA for the 2003 through 2005 seasons. He was UCLA's running backs coach for the 2003 and 2004 seasons and was UCLA's running backs coach and recruiting coordinator for the 2005 season. But, you know, you think about this, Eric Bieniemy left his job as Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator to join the commanders with the idea that doing so would aid his quest of getting an NFL head coaching job. And now he's instead back coaching in college. Uh, not exactly how this was supposed to go. But Eric Bieniemy's demanding coaching style certainly can play well in college, maybe even better than the style plays in the NFL. And then one more topic before we get to feedback, the Nationals. Uh, Games in Major League Baseball's 2024 exhibition season have begun. Uh, They started on Saturday. The Nats began their 2024 Grapefruit League season with a 7-4 loss to the Houston Astros in West Palm Beach, Florida on Saturday evening, then had a 6-3 win over the Miami Marlins in Jupiter, Florida, on Sunday afternoon. And one of the Nats' top prospects, the consensus number two Nats overall prospect, outfielder James Wood, he is raking. Uh, He and the loss on Saturday evening came off the bench as a pinch runner, played right field, and went one for three with a moonshot of a home run, a two-out first pitch solo bomb to right field in a two-run fifth 
for the Nats. And then Wood in the win on Sunday afternoon homered again. He is the Nats starting right fielder, went one for two with a two-run homer on a one-two pitch in another two-run fifth. Uh, and Wood in that game had an outfield assist. Another top Nats prospect, outfielder Robert Hassel III. Uh, he in each game came off the bench to play left field. He over the two games went a combined three for five with a triple and two singles. And he went one for one on stolen bases. The Nats a top overall prospect. Outfielder Dylan Cruz. He in each game came off the bench to play center field when it combined 0 for 3 with two walks, uh, but made a diving catch in the loss on Saturday evening. Uh, also starting pitcher Jackson Rutledge in the loss on Saturday evening, working in relief through two scoreless innings. Uh, starting pitcher Mackenzie Gore. He in the win on Sunday afternoon as the starting pitcher. One run in two innings with four strikeouts versus no walks. Now, these games weren't all good for our rebuilding Nats. The starting pitcher, Patrick Corbin, uh, was the starting pitcher in the loss on Saturday evening. He struggled two runs in one and two-thirds innings. Also, catcher Kate Bert Ruiz, who's coming off a hideous defensive season, he in that loss on Saturday evening committed two catcher interference errors and was charged with a passed ball. But Wood, Hassel, Cruz, Rutledge, and Gore all shining was terrific. Uh, the future of the Nats, even the present of the Nats, uh, on display these last few days. And if you're wondering about starting pitcher Steven Strasburg, uh, well, <laughs> he still has not reported to 2024 Nats spring training in West Palm Beach. Uh, this past Saturday was deadline day, February 24th, per the collective bargaining agreement between Major League Baseball and the MLB Players Association, was the mandatory reporting date for all players invited to a team's Major League Spring Training. Uh, those players who did not report by that date without club permission are subject to discipline. Well, Strasburg still is not reported as the situation with his contract remains unresolved. Uh, his playing career is over, that's understood, but the team wants him at spring training in order to work with other Nats pitchers, but Strasburg still has not shown up. And what's really strange to me <laughs> is that him not showing up by Saturday got basically zero attention or coverage over the weekend. I found that to be so odd. Neither Nats reporters nor Nats fans made any kind of a deal out of this. Uh, you can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Plenty of feedback to our conversation on Friday's show, episode 769, with pro football focused senior data analyst and commanders fan Nick Ackridge, who gave us a great breakdown of Caleb Williams versus Drake May versus Jaden Daniels from James Cowan on X, writes James. Some comparing May to Justin Herbert, but based on your conversation with Nick, May sounds more like Josh Allen. Accuracy issues, crazy out-of-control plays, etc. If the accuracy can be fixed with footwork and if the crazy plays can be minimized, I'll take a Josh Allen type quarterback. Uh, thank you for that, James. I agree. You know, completion percentage is not the best measure of accuracy for a quarterback because completion percentage does not account for drops or catches of inaccurate passes or depth of targets. But Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen for Wyoming had a career completion percentage of just 56.2. Drake May for UNC 
had a career completion percentage of 64.9. May is off on some throws, including too many underneath throws, but his accuracy problem is not as severe as Allen's accuracy problem was. The Josh Allen accuracy saga really is something. He, for Wyoming, had that career completion percentage of just 56.2. He, over his first two regular seasons with the Bills, 2018 and 2019, had a completion percentage of just 56.3. But Allen, over the last four regular seasons with the Bills, 2020 through 2023, has a completion percentage of 65.5. Again, completion percentage, flawed stat for evaluating the accuracy of a quarterback. But in the case of Josh Allen, completion percentage tells the true story. Allen has drastically improved on his accuracy in a way that few, if any, quarterbacks ever have. Uh, From Tom Weaver on X writes, Tom, I think that Drake May is the way to go if the commanders pick a quarterback. I want nothing to do with Caleb Williams. He has the feel of being mentally unfit (laughs) to play quarterback in the NFL written all over him. Uh, Thank you for that, Tom. Uh, There are questions about Caleb Williams that definitely need to be answered, and that is a big part of what Combine Week is about. Now, I have my doubts about the Commanders having a true shot at Caleb. I think that the Chicago Bears are going to keep that number one overall pick in the 2024 draft and take Caleb, but you never know. Uh, And Caleb could pull a power play and make it clear that he doesn't want to be drafted by the Bears, and so the Commanders do need to do their due diligence on Caleb. Uh, The painting of his nails. Caleb paints his nails. He has said that he does this as part of his connection with his mom. Okay, fine, but Caleb in the painting of his nails has had messages that essentially said F the opposing team in the 2022 season had messages that essentially were F Notre Dame, F UCLA, F Utah. Those messages are not what you want being put out there by your QB1. Uh, Now, if Caleb behind the scenes wants to say F the opposing team to fire himself up and to fire his teammates up, all right, but there is a level of class a level of decorum that you want from your QB1. Uh, To say nothing of unnecessarily motivating the opposing team, him painting F the opposing team on his nails was unnecessary and immature and unbecoming of a QB1. And, you know, I don't want to sound like some prude when it comes to how athletes should behave, but, like, you don't need to be painting F the opposing team on your nails. So, as an NFL team, I'd like to find out a little more about that. You know, does Caleb Williams regret doing that? Does he understand what was wrong with that? Uh, Caleb crying in his mother's arms after then number 20 USC's 52-42 home loss to then number 5 Washington this past November 4th. It was hard to know what to make of that. Was Caleb crying in his mom's arms a sign of immaturity or more just a manifestation of how much he wants to win? Uh, Caleb reportedly is not hiring an agent. Uh, That could change, but for now, he's entering the NFL without an agent. Uh, Now, that's not the end of the world. Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent. Uh, A commander's quarterback for this past season, Jacoby Brissett, who is said to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason, he does not have an agent. But is there anything negative to be interpreted by Caleb not hiring an agent? Uh, Maybe not. Maybe Caleb's a great guy. That certainly was the sense that we got from our conversation with Ryan Abraham, owner and publisher of uscfootball.com on episode 759 of this podcast. But there are some questions about Caleb that the commanders and other NFL teams uh, should want answered. 
Uh, and if a question that you have is which law firm should you call, the answer is Paulson and Nace. Founded in 1979, Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you have been harmed by the negligence of someone else, if someone who you care about has been harmed by the negligence of someone else, call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments, both in and out of courtrooms. In fact, Paulson and Nace was just named as part of U.S. News and World Report's Best Law Firms 2024 edition. And Chris Nace and Matt Nace specifically are dedicated and decorated trial attorneys. Chris Nace last May was named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Chris last July was elected as the Parliamentarian of the American Association for Justice. And both Chris and Matt Nace last August were recognized by Best Lawyer in America for 2024. Why the accolades? Well, Paulson and Nace fights for you. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. This episode of the podcast is for Monday, February 26th, what is day one of the 2024 NFL Scouting Combine. We now are just two weeks away from the start of the NFL's legal tempering period, uh, March 11th. Uh, that marks the true start of free agency this NFL offseason. No podcast or show covers the commanders like this podcast does. And so if you would like to grow your business or practice, consider advertising on the Al Galdi podcast. Podcast advertising is very affordable, gives you a true bang for your buck. Uh, email us, see what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Goldie podcast at yahoo.com. The commanders on Friday afternoon actually announced the signing of a free agent. The commanders on Friday afternoon announced the signing of an unrestricted free agent linebacker, Keandre Jones. Uh, he was not in the NFL, so he was available to be signed. Uh, Keandre Jones is a local. He went to Our Lady of Good Counsel High School in Oldney, Maryland, and then went to the University of Maryland, uh, entered the NFL as an undrafted free agent with the Chicago Bears in April 2020. He has played in just eight career 
NFL regular season games, all with the Cincinnati Bengals over the 2020 through 2022 seasons. But also on Friday afternoon was the NFL announcing that the salary cap for the 2024-2025 league year will be a record 200 $55.4 million, a record increase of $30.6 million from the salary cap of $224.8 million for the 2023-2024 league year. The percent increase of 13.6% is the fourth largest percent increase of the cap since the installation of the salary cap in the NFL in the 1994 offseason. The NFL, in a press release on Friday afternoon, attributed this massive increase in the cap as, quote, the result of the full repayment of all amounts advanced by the clubs and deferred by the players during the COVID pandemic, as well as an extraordinary increase in media revenue for the 2024 season End quote. Uh, two takeaways for me as a Commanders fan from the NFL salary cap skyrocketing like this. Takeaway number one, this does reduce the relative advantage that the Commanders had in having the most projected cap space in the NFL. Uh, they still have the most projected cap space in the NFL, $87 million per overthecap.com, $75.2 million in effective cap space per overthecap.com. But when you have the most of a resource, in this case, cap space, and the resource becomes more abundant, thus reducing the scarcity of that resource, uh, your relative advantage in having the most of that resource goes down, right? Even if you still have the most of that resource. Uh, Takeaway number two from the NFL salary cap skyrocketing to $255.4 million, a mantra that I have put forth for years now is as true as ever. Today's overpay is tomorrow's bargain. I've been saying that for years, and that is as true as ever. Pay whatever it takes to keep or get a player who you really want to keep or want to get, because whatever you're paying that player now or are on the hook for paying him in the future almost certainly won't be so bad if, and this is the big if, he is the player you believe him to be. This increase in the NFL salary cap marks the cap going up by at least $10 million for a tenth time in 11 years. And the one year in that stretch in which the cap did not go up by at least $10 million was the cap for the 2021-2022 league year as that followed the COVID-plagued 2020 season. So excluding COVID, the cap goes up by at least $10 million every year. And now with the NFL's new media rights deals may well be going up by a lot more than $10 million every year. And so what you're paying a good player this season and moving forward can look like a bargain in just a few seasons or even a season. It wasn't that long ago that paying a quarterback $30 million per season was outrageous. Then the number was $40 million, then $50 million. Now we're clearly headed for $60 million. Today's overpay is tomorrow's bargain. Well, a man who I know understands that is the man who joins me now. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, pro football focus salary cap analyst, Brad Spielberger. Uh, Brad also is a contributor to overthecap.com. He also is a lawyer. Uh, You can follow Brad on X at PFF underscore Brad. Hey, Brad, how are you? Yeah, great to be back and uh, doing well, doing well. Can't complain. We last spoke in November, uh, episode 708 of this podcast, to be exact, off a piece 
that you wrote for PFF.com. Headline, quote, 2024 NFL general manager candidates, rising stars in analytics, talent evaluation, and more, end quote. Uh, We at the time were basically certain that Commander's managing partner, Josh Harris, was going to fire head coach Rod Rivera and that the team was headed for a revamping of its football operations. And so I wanted to have you on the show to discuss rising head of football operations candidates. Uh, Well, the revamping has happened. Uh, The team hired Adam Peters as general manager of his impressive seven-year run as an executive with the San Francisco 49ers. And the team hired Lance Newmark as assistant general manager of him having spent the last 26 seasons as an executive with the Detroit Lions. What do you think about what the commanders did with their front office? Yeah, so we probably talked about Adam Peters. We knew he was going to be one of the top candidates, a guy that frankly turns down interviews in recent years when he didn't feel like there was a good opportunity. So I know there's been some fans a bit underwhelmed by the coaching staff, but I think you should take solace and be excited about the fact that a guy from a winning organization in San Francisco that had been you know sought after for years by a lot of different teams and chose to not take those opportunities now goes to a team. I'm sure he's excited about what they're going to do in the draft and probably spending in free agency and just thinking they can build a winner pretty quickly um, and he can he kind of has the ability to really build out this roster save for a couple spots so I think that was great and then Newmark was interesting a name that kind of bubbled under the radar a little bit I, I did that massive GM you know article and I didn't get a hey he's the GM for this cycle but it was one of those keep an eye on this guy in the future type of name so you know always good to bring those guys aboard it's, the, the, I think underrated sometimes is those number two personnel guys that follow or join these GMs elsewhere, especially when it's not from their building. Like it's, it's through connections and just knowing the person, probably meeting them on the road um, and trusting their expertise and, and their eyes. So, yeah, I think the front office additions have been great. In terms of analytics, the commanders this past October 26 announced the hiring of Eugene Shen as the team's senior vice president of football strategy. He is in charge of the team's analytics. Uh, But Adam Peters and Lance Newmark do seem like more traditional scouting guys as opposed to analytics guys. Although the Niners and Lions are known as progressive teams, how do you evaluate Peters and Newmark from the perspective of analytics? Yeah, I think the cool thing here is, and look, I have heard Peters is a quote-unquote football guy. He's a scout. That is who he is at the end of the day. But for me, that's fine as long as the guy is not actively undermining and and, and pushing back on those things, right? Like, that can be his bread and butter. But when you're in San Francisco the last couple years, they don't really get talked about in the, like, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Baltimore, they're kind of in that category, if not close to it. Um, it just in terms of all the things they do from a data research perspective, um, you know, so so he's, he's familiar with it. He's seen it. He's accustomed to it. You know, they've been an incubator for guys like Quasito Flamenza and trying different things and bringing people from different backgrounds. And then you mentioned Eugene Chen. I, I believe they're probably still looking for like a more coaching side analytics or down decisions, all those things. And the same can be said for Newmark, obviously. I, I know less there about his specific kind of focus areas, but comes from a building that is clearly, you know, analytically inclined and, and forward thinking. So that's honestly great to me. Like, I, I don't mind the, I know we're in these bigger conversations now, like, should you have the analytics GM? Should you have the, the scout GM? I honestly think it probably should be a quote-unquote football guy. I'm just not okay if they are saying, and I want to ignore all of this, and it means nothing to me. That's where it becomes a problem. 
the commander's new head coach, Dan Quinn, defensive-minded head coach, uh, very well regarded as a leader and communicator. But of course, the concern with a defensive-minded head coach in the current NFL is, is the offensive portion of the staff good enough for the offense to do well. Uh, The commanders have Cliff Kingsbury as offensive coordinator, Brian Johnson as assistant head coach slash offensive pass game coordinator, and Anthony Lynn as run game coordinator slash running backs coach. Where are you on Dan Quinn as commander's head coach, and what are your thoughts on the offensive portion of his coaching staff? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it is important that he is an extremely well-liked guy. When you start talking about filling out, you know, coaching staffs, if you hypothetically lose people, I do think it's also interesting. Like Chip Kelly, Cliff Kingsbury, some of the names are guys that I don't think are going to be hired as head coaches in two years if things go well. Like, of course, Cliff might eventually get back on that track, but I don't think, you know, like it's going to take a while. I mean, Cliff brought a very different system to the NFL. A large part of it was because of his connection with Kyler Murray. You know, you don't really see guys go from like seven and five at Texas Tech to NFL head coaches all that often. So it's not to be mean to Cliff. It's more just like, I don't think he's some sexy hot name that immediately, let's say, you know, Drake May, whatever, has a good rookie year. Oh, Cliff's gone. Like, I I don't really see that. So anyway, Quinn, I I think, empowers his other side of the football, which is important. He will let Cliff and those guys, you know, run with things and, and run their side of the ball, which makes them feel empowered and appreciated and probably less inclined to leave. Quinn has had a great defense. I know that the Packers game was a nightmare. I think a lot of that was simply, they, they literally, by the end of the year, didn't have off-ball linebackers on the roster. Like, you lose Leighton Van Der Esch, you lose Jabril Cox, you lose DeMar Van Overshone. Again, like, you can say it's an excuse, but playing a heavy 12 personnel, run the football team, and you're playing a bunch of safeties that weigh 215 pounds as your linebackers, like, yeah, it's going to be tough. So, Got to adjust, got to get better. But, I mean, that, that Cowboys defense has been one of the best in the NFL pretty much every year he's been there. Um, last thing I'll say is the Brian Johnson thing to me. I know Philly was not good this year on offense. People might say, yeah, it goes from Shane Steichen to Brian Johnson. That's terrible. It's all his fault. A, I don't feel that way at all. I think Sirianni is still promoting his offense being run, even if Brian is calling the plays. And B, as a quarterback developer – you go back to his entire train uh, track record. You have uh, Dak Prescott, uh, Anthony Richardson, Kyle Trask, uh, like Derek King, Kyle Allen. Uh, obviously, Jalen Hurts once he gets there in the NFL. So, like, there's like ten guys he has coached for, at, at different spots in college and the pros that got better. Like, it's it, it's a, a common thread that I think he has something to do with. And with quarterback, as you know, as so many people listening know. The holy grail in the current NFL from a roster construction standpoint is the great quarterback on a rookie contract. The commanders in having the number two overall pick in the 2024 NFL draft, uh, which is viewed as a good draft for quarterbacks, have a legitimate shot at this holy grail. Uh, Now, your colleague, uh, Pro Football Focus lead NFL analyst Sam Monson, he recently wrote a piece for PFF.com suggesting that the commanders, with all of their salary cap space, sign a former player for the franchise, a quarterback, Kirk Cousins, as an unrestricted free agent, and then trade down in the draft. Whether it's signing Kirk or trading for Chicago Bears quarterback Justin Fields or whatever, If you are Adam Peters, are you at all seriously considering getting your new QB1 via free agency or trade and not going quarterback via that number two overall pick? No. 
I can say in the media that I am because I'm, you know, I'm uncovering every stone and, and, and exploring every option, which sure you do at a cursory level, but no, uh, it's an easy decision. It's not complicated. There are two and some people think three, uh, you know, extraordinary prospects coming into this class. I know that there's always going to be the Caleb Williams conversation because of location, because of Cliff Kingsbury. I can tell you, look, it's not nothing. Like, it is meaningful that those things happened, uh, particularly Cliff, you know, kind of leaving Las Vegas, going to Washington. But even if not, Drake May is a Tier 1 quarterback prospect coming out of college. So, you know, look, it's fun to write about those things. And, it, you know, like, I think New England would be more, has more of an argument there. But, no, it's I, I wouldn't consider it in any way, shape, or form. All right, so which of the following scenarios do you like the best for the Commanders with their number two overall pick? A, stay at two and take either North Carolina quarterback Drake May or LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels. B, trade up from two to one to take USC quarterback Caleb Williams. C, trade down, obtain a bunch of assets and take, say, Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy. So I think, and obviously it's just one example, but I think last year was very informative for us, and it does only apply when there's like clearly not a drop-off of prospects. So for example, 2021, when it's Trevor Lawrence and then Zach Wilson is number two, it's a different conversation. But last year, for example, you have Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, who I think were legitimately, like, yeah, Young became kind of the consensus QB1, but I bet if you asked all 32 teams, it would be it was probably like 18 to 14, like who was their QB1? It was very close, right? I think this year it's probably more 20 to 12, whatever, kind of putting hypothetical numbers. But nevertheless, there are two, I think, you know, tier one, very, very good prospects in Caleb Williams and Drake May. And I think what Houston informed us last year, like they almost did trade to one. There was almost that combination. We've not heard all about it where Carolina was going to come to two. Houston was going to go to one. It was going to be this three team trade. And Houston eventually was just like, you know what? We like them both. We'll just sit here and take whichever one falls to us. We're not going to waste extra draft capital. We're going to trust that. Let's just build that around this guy we get. Let's trust our process here. Um, and let's go from there. And, you know, uh, long story short, they have one of the best rookie seasons from a quarterback in the history of the National Football League. So, I go that way. Just sit there and take Caleb or Drake, whichever guy falls to you. If it's a, if it's a cheap trade up, which I don't think it will be, maybe you talk yourselves into that. Again, the trade down for me, I get the argument, but this isn't a team that is like like struggling with draft capital. You have five top one hundred picks. Like no, like if you were, you know, a different situation, you didn't have a lot of draft capital. You didn't have a, a Terry McLaurin, a Deron Payne, like then maybe. But I, I think this team is actually not that far away. Dropping the quarterback, spending free agency, and and you know get off the races. And you do like Drake May over Jaden Daniels? I do. I think they are close, and I know some teams have that flipped. I think Drake May is a you know higher upside prospect, just younger, and I think has better tools. Uh, they, they have, they have fun. They have some similar issues. Are they both? Uh, have some Josh Allen to their game where they take off scrambling and take these completely unnecessary hits, stuff like that. But they're both awesome. But I I would have Drake May above Jaden Daniels. Much more with Brad Spielberger in moments, but if you live in Northern Virginia and you have a masonry fireplace, listen up. Nova Fireplace and Stove is offering an exceptional deal to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Nova Fireplace and Stove right now is offering the following deal to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. An in-stock wood insert at an extremely discounted price, just six thousand dollars plus tax. The usual price is nine thousand dollars plus tax. So this is a 33% discount and the six thousand dollars plus tax includes installation, permit, 
and county slash city inspection. And you can get a government-funded tax credit as well. Up to $2,000, dropping the price to just $4,000. All things considered, a site visit is required, and you must have a masonry fireplace. But if you live in northern Virginia, call Nova Fireplace and Stove at 571-513-3803. Talk to my guy, Stuart Moore. He is the general manager. He is a big Commanders fan and a loyal listener of this podcast. Mention that Al Galdi sent you and get this exceptional deal on an in-stock wood insert again 33% off. A standard masonry fireplace is only about 10% efficient, but a wood insert is over 70% efficient. A wood insert installed into a masonry fireplace elongates the burn time of your logs. This is a great way to heat your home and save money on heating your home. Visit NovaFireplaceAndStove.com to check out customer reviews of Nova Fireplace and Stove, but call Nova Fireplace and Stove, 571-513-3803, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. That's Nova Fireplace and Stove, 571-513-3803, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you to get the great deal. We're talking commanders with pro football focus salary cap analyst Brad Spielberger regarding the commanders potentially trading up from having the number two overall pick in the 2024 draft to having the number one overall pick in the 2024 draft. This in order to take Caleb Williams. It is more and more feeling like the Bears are going to trade Justin Fields and are not going to trade that number one overall pick and are going to take Caleb Williams with that pick. You are a Bears fan. Uh, What do you think that they're going to do? I don't think there's a a conversation really left of like, are we doing Fields or a rookie? I think it's just which rookie are we taking? I I think that is, we might go to the the combine next week in Indy and and that might kind of be like, all right, Here's, well, you know, last year, I want to say it was the Friday, the week after the combine was when the Panthers trade happened with DJ Moore. And maybe it's not as early this time around, but yeah, and, and the trade actually can't happen until March 13th anyway. But we've had in the past, you know, the Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford trade like that happens in February. It's preliminary and then, it, you know, it gets processed later on. I think that, that decision has been made. And I think it's really do we take Caleb at one um, or is Caleb going to try to make this power play and push to go? And are we going to do an Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers situation with the commanders? Like, I think it's kind of just between those two things. There was a decent amount of talk going into the 2021 NFL draft of Washington possibly trading up to take Justin Fields. Washington in that draft had the number 19 overall pick. The Bears had the number 20 overall pick and traded up to number 11 to take Fields. What is the truth? about Fields. Is he just a bad NFL quarterback? Is he a good NFL quarterback who has been trapped in a bad situation? What say you? Yeah, I think it's a mix of both. I do think he was handed a completely, completely raw hand. And the first two years of the Bears rosters were, if not the worst in the NFL, clear-cut bottom five, particularly on offense, but also bad defenses too. But like 2022, both offensive line and pass catching, I think you could make an argument they were the worst in the NFL. And that's his second year, and his first year as the unquestioned starter. And the first year you had this drama with Andy Dalton and Nick Foles and all this, you know, the, a coaching staff that was clearly on the hot seat trying to save their jobs, all these things. But then even the second year, I think it was even worse from a, from a personnel standpoint. So all of that said, some of the things that people point to in terms of this past year, like, oh, he still got sacked a bunch. The offensive line isn't that good. I'm not saying it was a great offensive line. It was a playable, 
in the range of the 20th best offensive line in the NFL. He got sacked so much because he, he had the highest average time to throw in the NFL, and his pressure to sack rate was sky high. Um, so, like, that, that's the thing. But And look, beyond DJ Moore, there wasn't a lot there. At the same time, you saw him just, like, not find his second receiver in a progression or, or miss those throws. So, I do think he could be good elsewhere. I really do, and I hope he is. I love the guy. I hope he goes on and becomes a Hall of Famer elsewhere. But I don't think it's a particularly tough decision with where Chicago is at right now. There's just still too many question marks about his game um, after three NFL seasons. Certainly would slash will be interesting to see what the Bears get in a trade of Justin Fields. What about the man who started every game at quarterback for the Commanders this past regular season, Sam Howell? Let's say that the Commanders take a quarterback with their number two overall pick in the 2024 draft and want a veteran QB2 or maybe even placeholder QB1 and thus are open to trading Sam, who, yes, for last regular season had some awful numbers, but also, yes, was doing pretty well for a while and does have two seasons left on his ultra-cheap rookie contract as a fifth-round pick in the 2022 draft. What might the commanders be able to get in a trade of Sam this offseason? I think you could get like a fourth round pick, maybe absolute best case scenario, like a late third from a team looking for, you know, I don't know, like a high upside backup, like let's say the Rams, kind of just a random name, but like, hey, we have a starter, but he's 35 year old Matthew Stafford. He could always miss a handful of games in any given year. And, you know, they, they draft sets in Bennett. I don't think he's in the long term plans in LA anymore. So, like, that type of thing is like maybe your best case, but I think like a fourth, like the Trey Lance trade was a solo fourth. There's pieces there. He's a, you know, like you said, there, there was some good stuff in his play. Um, obviously the sacks and all that, just like I talked about Justin Fields was a big issue of his as well, but he has arm talent. He, he made some splash plays. So yeah, like, a, like an early day three pick, I think you could get. Let's talk NFL free agency, especially with the commanders being number one in the NFL in projected salary cap space for the 2024-2025 league year, a league year for which the cap will be a sky-high $255.4 million. Uh, PFF.com on February 19th published your ranking of the top 200 free agents this NFL offseason. Tremendous piece. I would encourage everyone listening to check that out. The commanders need help just about everywhere. Uh, The deepest position groups in free agency this NFL offseason are which position groups? I would say interior offensive line, which I think aligns pretty nicely, uh, and then a defensive line across the board. So, of course, the defensive line, we're going to get franchise tags for probably, I don't know, the top five defensive linemen. But, um, you know, an edge defender, like I think Bryce Huff is a guy to keep an eye on uh, in Washington. Maybe a guy like Jonathan Greener in Houston. Um, you know, maybe smaller, kind of, you know, more rotational guy like a Josh Uchi. But, like, there are a lot of different flavors and styles. I imagine they go young. Um, if they do kind of make those splashes uh, on the defensive line. But I think there's a lot of players there on the edge in particular where obviously they're going to address the spot. Um, you know, Saquon Lewis with, with the Indianapolis Colts. Like, we'll see what Dan Quinn goes with. Is it more of a 3-4, more of a 4-3? Everyone is multiple now and does different things. But there's every flavor available. Um, his old pal Dorrance Armstrong, who was at the Cowboys, who, I, it's funny, I put this in the blurb, like, The three years before Dan Quinn got there, he had like 30 total pressures in his career. The three years since Dan Quinn's been there, he had 35 at least in every year since then. So, like, clearly, like, they have a good connection. And then I mentioned interior offensive line. I know Commander's fans are probably thinking maybe we could just tackle more. 
hard to get a tackle in free agency, at least a good one, but there are so many guards and centers available in this class. And I know, you know, you get Ricky Stromberg in the third round, Sam Cosme, we, we love Sam Cosme in the second half of the year once he was kind of entrenched at guard. Um, but, I mean, yeah, rattle off names here, but like Kevin Dodson, Robert Hunt from Miami, um, you know, Dalton Risner from Minnesota, uh, Danny Lewis in Seattle. Like, there's a lot of starting caliber players you could add at guard. Um, you know, Jonah Jackson from Detroit, a good left guard. John Simpson, left guard in Baltimore. Like, starting caliber guys you can go out and get for a, for a decent price. You mentioned New York Jets unrestricted free agent edge defender Bryce Huff. You wrote a piece for PFF.com that came out this past Thursday, February 22nd. Headline, quote, 2024 NFL free agency potential landing spots for top edge defenders. End quote. You in that piece had Bryce Huff as a fit for the commanders and also the New York Giants. Uh, There's a lot to like with Bryce Huff. Why do you like him for the commanders? Yeah, so, so he is still at this stage of his career. The, the, the question marks are going to be, can he be a three-down player? But he had the highest pass rush win rate in the entire National Football League two years ago, you know, two seasons ago, and his past year was still top ten. Over the two years combined, I think it's Miles Garrett, Bryce Huff, Micah Parsons, our one, two, three in our pass rush win rate metric. And now there is context there. He's, he's always rushing on third and long, second and long, obvious passing situations, like areas where it would boost those numbers. But he did play more over the second half of this past year on early downs. Is he a good run defender? No, but is he, I mentioned Josh Uchi, who like the Patriots like legitimately don't even trust to play a snap against the run. Like he's not that level. He's big. I think you can get there with him. But I think they just need, with two guys that clog up the middle that can push the pocket, just get a winner. A guy that just simply wins one-on-one matchups, gets to the quarterback, um, and this past year, I think, was better at closing and actually getting sacks, not just pressure. So it just it just aligns perfectly to me. It just makes too much sense to me. Um, you know, they, they, I think they are going to spend in free agency, and I imagine Dan Quinn would love to have you know some better edge rushers on that defense. How is the free agency class this NFL offseason in terms of linebackers and defensive backs? So true. Uh, yeah, obviously, linebacker could be, could be an addition. You know, opposite Jamin Davis, there's always a bunch uh, there. I mean, there's. The flavor is interesting. What kind of player you're going for? There's like your Frankie Louvu, your Patrick Queens. Those are both a top of market and b those guys come forward. They're, they're, they're pass rusher types. They can cover, but it's not really their bread and butter. And then you also have the coverage players, like a veteran like a Levante David, probably not going to Washington. But like a Jordan Brooks, does he get out of Seattle? Probably not. <laughs> um, you know, like a Josie Jewell in Denver, a Blake Cashman in Houston, guys that we saw, uh, you know, be, be good coverage players and, and make a difference um, in taking on interior receivers, tight ends, running backs, things like that. Um, that could probably play well opposite of a Jamin Davis. So there's a ton of talent there. DB is not great. Safeties you can definitely add. Uh, there's always a million free agent safeties. Corner's tough. Once Jalen Johnson gets franchise tagged, which he will, I think it's Legereus Sneed, who I do think hits the market. And then it's a lot of question marks. I mean, Kendall Ford is the next highest ra- you know, rated corner uh, on my board at corner, and it, f- it falls off after that. Hard to say to what extent the commander's new football operations regime views receiver as a need, but the team does lack size at receiver. How is the free agency class this NFL offseason regarding X receivers? In other words, big body low average depth of target, low A dot, uh, but high catch percentage receivers. 
Yeah, it's not a great one, uh, and particularly for that skill set either, because like you're, you basically just describe Michael Pittman, uh, you know, who's going to get tagged and not going anywhere from Indy, and then the rest of the guys that I think are available are like your Marquise Browns, your Calvin Ridley's, your Darnell, Darnell Mooney's, good players, but again, not a you know possession X, you know, sure-handed eight-yard a dot, ten-yard a dot guy. Gabe Davis is probably the first of like the big bodies, but he's your like 17 yard average up the target, like field stretching deep threat. He is a good run blocker though and has that size. Um, but then yeah, it gets into the Curtis Samuels, you know, the Kendrick Bournes. Like, I guess the one like true X receiver in that mold, it could be like a Michael Thomas from New Orleans. Obviously, interesting, you know, thought process there, but you know, it, it is you're, you're getting that low for that skill set. Josh Reynolds, a good receiver, wide receiver four. I know he had a bad playoff game. He was pretty good this past year. Is a reliable kind of like third down, sit sit down against zone and, and be a reliable check down outlet as much as that did not show up against uh, the 49ers, unfortunately. You and I have talked previously about how the real value in NFL free agency is in the second and third waves of free agency and not in those first few days of free agency with all of the hype and all of the big money contracts that uh, so often do not work out. Uh, that said, are there position groups for which the free agency hit rates are significantly higher than they are for other position groups? No, absolutely there are. Uh, you, you don't want to chase premium positions in free agency because if a, if a player, and I'll say this, we just talked about Bryce Huff. He, he is in a bucket where there's maybe more potential because the reason he's hitting free agency is is A, the Jets have a million edge rushers, um, and, and B, like he is a right now a, a designated pass rusher, like, like part-time piece. But you're not finding three-down players at edge, tackle, receiver. If they're free agents, that is inherently a red flag and a signal that something is wrong there. But interior offensive line, safety, linebacker, um, you know, nose tackle, like those positions you can't hit because some teams are just making tough decisions saying, hey, we just we can't pay everyone. We're a good team, but we can't keep everyone around. So we have to kind of let some guys walk. And that's the main driver of why they're free agents. It's not an inherent red flag on, on who they are as a player. So yeah, you draft premium, you assign non-premium players. That's a great philosophy. Uh, final question. Your ranking of the top 200 free agents this NFL offseason included six commanders unrestricted free agents, corner Kendall Fuller at number 15, safety Cameron Curl at number 21, receiver Curtis Samuel at number 76, quarterback Jacoby Brissett at number 126, linebacker Cody Barton at number 155, and running back Antonio Gibson at number 193. Who do you see getting the more lucrative contract, Kendall Fuller or Cam Curl? It's going to be fascinating. I think it's going to be very, very close. Uh, you know, for people that have followed the the projections, I had a tag for Cameron Curl. I've taken that away, not based on like first hand knowledge I've gotten. It's just I've gotten no sense around conversation. He's going to be a tag candidate. So the issue with safety is like so few guys get paid once they get to free agency. It's just. It's just there's there's too much uh, supply. It's not an issue of who they are as players or anything like that. Like there's just so many quality safeties, and I think his issue is I think he's good at everything. I don't know if he's great at anything. And, and in the lack of ball production since his rookie year, what no interceptions in three seasons now, even beyond picks, like just not as many pass breakups as he probably like to see. So is a very circuitous answer. I think both guys get like around ten million a year. Um, I'm a little bit higher on both. I have twelve and thirteen for twelve for curl, thirteen for, for fuller. Um, but yeah, I also could be off on those. Those are tougher to predict. The further you away you are from the ball, uh, it gets a little tougher to predict those. 
Tremendous stuff. Pro Football Focus salary cap analyst Brad Spielberger. Brad, thank you and all the best. Thank you. Appreciate you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, thank you to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating and who have written nice reviews of the podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. Uh, It can be just a sentence or two. But the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. The Capitals are in the midst of a stretch of three games in four days. The first of those three games uh, was a tough loss, a 3-2 overtime loss at the Florida Panthers on Saturday night. Uh, The loss ended the Caps' three-game winning streak, but this was an overtime loss, so the Caps did get a point. They do now have a four-game point streak. Uh, The Caps for this NHL regular season are 26-21-9. The Panthers are one of the best teams in the NHL. The Panthers have the third most points in the Eastern Conference at 80. Uh, However, This game on Saturday night was a game in which the Caps blew a 2-1 third period lead and then lost on an even-strength goal by Panthers defenseman Gustav Forsling, 341 into overtime. The goal came on a one-timer from the right circle off a three-on-one breakaway off third-line right wing Sonny Milano losing the puck in the Caps' offensive zone. Uh, The Caps, in fact, lost their fifth consecutive overtime slash shootout game. These uh, non-regulation games have not been going the Caps way lately. Uh, the Caps gave up the game tying goal on the penalty kill. The Caps went 2-3 on the penalty kill. They gave up a power play goal by center Alexander Barkov, 16-30 into the third period to tie the game at two. Uh, Charlie Lindgren, again, was the Caps starting goaltender. He was the Caps starting goaltender for the 12th 
time in 17 games. He stopped 26 of the 29 shots on goal that he faced. Lindgren, per natural stat trick, stopped four of the six high danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped nine of the 10 medium danger shots on goal that he faced, and stopped all 10 of the low danger shots on goal that he faced. So he wasn't great, but I mean, you only give up three goals. It really is a game that you should win. A bright spot for the Caps was their power play. They went two of four on the power play. Second line right wing Tom Wilson scored a power play goal 10-11 into the third period. Andy had a team high tying four shots on goal. Andy was number one on the Caps in five on five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 69.23. The Caps with Wilson on the ice in five on five situations in the game had 18 shot attempts versus allowing eight shot attempts. And the aforementioned Sonny Milano did have the boo-boo in overtime, but he scored a power play goal 18-31 into the second period. Uh, top line left wing Alex Ovechkin, he on Saturday night had no points, but he did have a team high tying four shots on goal and did register four hits. And this game was a milestone game for Ovechkin. Uh, the game was the 1,400th regular season game of his NHL career. Uh, Ovi became just the 10th player in NHL history to play in at least 1,400 career regular season games with one team. Uh, But the Caps did again suffer injury. Second line left wing Anthony Mantha left the game due to injury. Fourth consecutive game that a Caps player did not finish due to injury. A winger TJ Oshie on Saturday night did not play due to a non-contact lower body injury that he suffered in a Caps 5-3 win at the Tampa Bay Lightning this past Thursday night. Center Nick Dowd on Saturday night remained out due to an upper body injury that he suffered in a Caps 6-2 win over the New Jersey Devils at Capital One Arena last Tuesday night. And defenseman Martin Fehervari on Saturday night remained out due to a lower body injury that he suffered in a Caps 4-3 win at the Montreal Canadiens on February 17th. Uh, The injuries for the Caps are piling up to say nothing of the team being without two centers in Evgeny Kuznetsov and Nicholas Backstrom, right? Uh, Kuzi remains in the player assistance program of the NHL and NHL Players Association, and Backstrom's career appears to be over. He has been on the long-term injured reserve list since November 8th, Due to his chronically bad left hip, he on November 1st via a statement said that he had, quote, decided to take some time and step away from the game, end quote. Uh, Still, the Caps went 1-0-1 on their two-game trip in Florida. The 5-3 win at the Lightning this past Thursday night and this 3-2 overtime loss at the Panthers on Saturday night. Here was Caps head coach Spencer Carberry during his postgame session with reporters on Saturday night. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll, it's a successful road trip, and now we just focus on one game um, on Monday, right? It's, so, so tomorrow's off. Tomorrow will be a rest day for us to travel back, get your legs back, take a good day um, to rest physically and mentally, and then we right, get right back at it. These, I don't need to remind anybody in that locker room the importance of these games and what's at stake. The, these guys are dialed in right now and know exactly um, how important not only games, but every shift, every period, every power play. Uh, these, go, these guys know exactly what's at stake. Next up for the Caps are games on back-to-back nights. The Caps are home to the Ottawa Senators Monday night at 7, and then are at the Detroit Red Wings a Tuesday night at 7.
Well, the Wizards have two more games in this month of February, a month in which our rebuilding and tanking Wizards uh, remain winless. Uh, Two games for the Wizards over the weekend, two losses for the Wizards over the weekend. Friday night, a 147-106 loss at the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yes, a 41-point loss at the Thunder, which is having a very good season. The Thunder with this win and the Minnesota Timberwolves 112-107 home loss to the Milwaukee Bucks on Friday night moved into a tie with the Timberwolves for the best record in the Western Conference for this NBA regular season. But this game for the Wizards on Friday night was an embarrassment. The Wizards trailed for all of the second, third, and fourth quarters, including trailing by at least 17 points for all of the third quarter and trailing by at least 33 points for all of the fourth quarter. And then Sunday evening, a 114-105 loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers at Capital One Arena. This was a wild game. The Wizards blew a 10-point second quarter lead, overcame an 11-point third quarter deficit, but then blew a 6-point fourth quarter lead. And so the Wizards now have lost 11 consecutive games and for this regular season are 9-48, second worst record in the NBA, and just a half game ahead of the Detroit Pistons, who are 8 and 48. Uh, the Wizards for both games over the weekend were without Denny Avdia due to a left heel contusion. Uh, also, the Wizards for the loss to the Cavaliers on Sunday evening were without Corey Kispert. He did not play due to a non-COVID illness. Kispert in that loss at Thunder on Friday night was good offensively. 24 minutes, 53 seconds off the bench. 3 of 7 on threes, 3 of 5 on twos, and 5 of 6 on free throws. He finished with 20 points, 2 steals, and 2 rebounds. Although, he also had a game-worst time plus-minus rating of minus 30. And the Wizards on Sunday evening lost Bilal Koulibaly. He started but left the game due to suffering a right pelvis contusion. So we'll see about his status. A rough weekend for the Wizards defensively. That loss at the Thunder on Friday night. The Wizards defense was horrible. Uh, They allowed the Thunder to score 147 points and go 20 of 40 on threes and 35 of 52 on twos. The Wizards got ripped by 6-6. Shea Gilgis Alexander, SGA, uh, who in just 29 minutes, 39 seconds as a starter had 30 points, nine assists versus one turnover, seven rebounds, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 38. He went one of three on threes, nine of 14 on twos, and nine of nine on free throws. And then the loss to the Cavaliers on Sunday evening. The Wizards held the Cavs to just 10 of 32 on threes, but allowed the Cavs to score 60 points in the paint on 30 of 45 shooting in the paint. The Wizards allowed the Cavs two starting big, 6'11", Jared Allen, and 7-foot Evan Mobley to go a combined 20 of 39 from the field, all twos. And the Wizards' offense in these games was not good enough. Uh, the loss at the Thunder on Friday night, the Wizards went just 9 of 38 on threes, just 32 of 66 on twos, and just 15 of 21 on free throws, and committed 16 turnovers. And then the loss to the Cavaliers on Sunday evening, the Wizards went just 12 of 40 on threes, and just 13 of 18 on free throws. Although the Wizards did go 28 of 50 on twos and did have 29 assists versus. 
just nine turnovers. Another good game for Tyus Jones in terms of the assist to turnover ratio. He in 35 minutes, 25 seconds as a starter had 11 assists versus one turnover. Went one of one on threes, 0 of three on two, scored three points. But Jones remains number one among all qualified NBA players in assist to turnover ratio for this regular season. That ratio now at 7.39. He has 399 assists versus just 54 turnovers. Uh, Also, Jordan Poole, uh, he is continuing to come off the bench, and he is perhaps now finding himself this season. Let's hope. Uh, Poole has had a horrendous season. You know, he entered Sunday dead last in the NBA in value over replacement player for this regular season at minus 1.5. Poole in the loss at the Thunder on Friday night in 22 minutes, 30 seconds off the bench, scored 21 points. Now, he went to 7 of 19 from the field, just 2 of 8 on threes and just 5 of 11 on twos, but he did go 5 of 5 on free throws. He also had three rebounds and three assists versus three turnovers. But then Poole in the loss to the Cavaliers on Sunday evening, very good offense. He in 37 minutes, 33 seconds off the bench, went 6 of 13 on threes, 5 of 8 on twos, and 3 of 3 on free throws. He finished with 31 points, 5 assists versus 2 turnovers, and 5 rebounds. He did foul out of the game, but this may be the best role for Jordan Poole, coming off the bench, having him play some point guard as he has been playing, and just hoping that he's hot offensively. You know, Poole's defense is such that you almost can't start him (laughs) if you want to be a good defensive team, but he can get hot offensively, and he got hot offensively on Sunday evening. Here was Wizards interim head coach Brian Keefe during his post-game press conference on Sunday night on Jordan Poole. I think one of the things I said, uh, you know, a couple days ago, Jordan has been one of the highest net ratings since I've coached. So, like, Jordan has played well for us. Um, now we're seeing him in a different type of role. The ball in his hands a little bit more, and I see we're seeing incremental gains in the last three games from this. And I think we're going to continue to see that, and that's what I expect from him. Also, in the loss to the Cavaliers on Sunday evening, Kyle Kuzma, 39 minutes, 2 seconds as a starter. He went just to 2 of 10 on threes and just 5 of 7 on free throws. Did go 8 of 14 on twos. Did finish with 27 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists versus 2 turnovers. Next up for the Wizards, home to Jordan Poole's former team, the Golden State Warriors, Tuesday night at 7. We move now to college basketball. Maryland and Georgetown had a good weekend. Virginia and Virginia Tech had a not-so-good weekend. Uh, we begin with Maryland. The Terrapins for this season improved to 15-13 and 13 overall and 7-10 and 10 in the Big Ten with a 63 63- 46 win at Rutgers on Sunday afternoon. The Terps won for just the fourth time in 11 games, and this was a dominant win, a 17-point road win. Uh, The Terps led by at least 10 points for the entire second half. Uh, Rutgers really looked lifeless for so much 
of this game. Uh, what was a game of two of the best defensive teams in the country, both Maryland and Rutgers came into the game ranking in the top 10 in Division I men's basketball for this season in Ken Palm.com's adjusted defensive efficiency, which is points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. Uh, but both teams also are not good offensively. <laughs> and so what we had on Sunday afternoon was a, shall we say, defensive game. Uh, the Terps defense was excellent. They held Rutgers to just 46 points, including just 18 points in the first half. The Terps for the game held Rutgers to just two of 11 on threes and just 15 of 35 on twos. And Rutgers was bad on free throws, just 10 of 17. But the Terps offense was not good. Uh, the Terps went just 6 of 19 on threes, just 15 of 32 on twos, and just 15 of 24 on free throws. And the Terps committed 14 turnovers. But the Terps did out-rebound Rutgers 42-29, including having 15 offensive rebounds to Rutgers 7 and thus 12 second chance points to Rutgers 6. Four Terps players combined to score 54 of the Terps 63 points. Talking about Julian Reese, Jameer Young, Dante Scott, and Jordan Geronimo. Uh, although there was a yeah but <laughs> with each guy. Uh, 6'9", Julian Reese. He had 30 minutes as a starter. Went 8 of 11 from the field. All twos and 4 of 6 on free throws. He finished with 20 points, 6 rebounds, including 3 offensive boards and 2 blocks. But he did have no assists versus five turnovers. Uh, 6-1 point guard Jameer Young, he in 39 minutes as a starter went 2-5 on threes, but 0-4 on twos and just 6-10 on free throws. He finished with 12 points, nine assists versus three turnovers and four rebounds. 6-8 Dante Scott, 31 minutes as a starter, 3-6 on threes, but just 1-5 on twos. He finished with 11.7 rebounds and two steals. And the 6-6 Indiana transfer Jordan Geronimo, he in 29 minutes as a starter went one one on threes. Did go just two of five on twos and just four of seven on free throws, but he finished with 11 points and 11 rebounds, including six offensive boards. Uh, the Terps have a major uphill climb to have any realistic chance for an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament, but this was a good win against an elite defensive team, uh, as are the Terps, by the way. Uh, next up for Maryland, home to Northwestern Wednesday night at seven. So we had what we had with the Terps on Sunday afternoon, and we had what we had with Georgetown on Saturday evening. A win! Yes, <laughs> an actual real life Hoyas win. The Hoyas for this season improved to nine and 18 overall and two and 14 in the Big East with a 77-76 win at DePaul on Saturday evening. The Hoyas snapped their 11-game losing streak. They won for the first time since a 68-65 win over DePaul at Capital One Arena on January 6th. Yep, if not for DePaul, <laughs> the Hoyas would be winless in Big East play this season. Uh, DePaul truly is one of the worst teams in Division I men's basketball. The Hoyas in this win at DePaul on Saturday evening beat a DePaul team that came into the game just 3-23 and on the season, including 0-15 in the Big East. And yet, the Hoyas nearly lost the game. They blew a 15-point first half lead. They allowed 6-7 Minnesota transfer Jaden Henley to get off a driving layup in the closing seconds, but the shot attempt was short, and the Hoyas held on 
for the win. Uh, the Hoyas defense was good in the first half, but uh, quite bad in the second half. The Hoyas in the first half held DePaul to just 28 points, just a 2 of 10 on threes and 9 of 18 on twos. But the Hoyas in the second half allowed DePaul to score 48 points and go 6 of 12 on threes and 10 of 19 on twos. Uh, the Hoyas offense was good enough. Uh, they went 7-21 on threes, 16-30 on twos, and 24-30 on free throws. But the Hoyas had just nine assists versus 15 turnovers. This victory was not some work of art, but this was a victory. Uh, 59 of the Hoyas' 77 points came from just three players, Jaden Epps, Rowan Brumball, and Dontrez Stiles, the uh, 6'2 Illinois transfer. Jaden Epps, he scored 33 of the Hoyas' 77 points in 39 minutes as a starter, went 4 of 10 on threes, 5 of 8 on twos, and 11 of 13 on free throws. He finished with 33 points, 5 assists versus 3 turnovers and 4 rebounds. 6'4 Texas transfer Rowan Brumball. He in 31 minutes as a starter went 0 of 1 on threes, 5 of 10 on twos, and 4 of 5 on free throws. He finished with 14 points, 2 assists versus 2 turnovers and 2 rebounds. And 6'6 North Carolina transfer Dontrez Styles. He fouled out in just 20 minutes as a starter, but he went 1 of 3 on threes, 1 of 2 on twos, and 7 of 8 on free throws. He had 12 points and 3 rebounds, although he did also have no assists versus two turnovers. Uh, but also, the Hoyas out-rebounded DePaul 39-26, Fairfield transfer Supreme Cook. He, in 32 minutes as a starter, had 11 rebounds, including five offensive boards. He went two of four from the field, all twos, and two of four on free throws. Scored six points. Uh, did have no assists versus four turnovers. But again, the Hoyas won. <laughs> uh, next up for Georgetown at Villanova, Tuesday evening at 6.30. Virginia now has lost three of its last four games since an eight-game winning streak. The Cavaliers for this season fell to 20-8 and eight overall and 11-6 and six in the ACC with a 54-44 loss to number 10 North Carolina at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia, on Saturday. Uh, yes, the final score was 54-44. The Cavs defense was great. They held Carolina to just 54 points, just 7-22 on threes, and just 9-28 on twos. The Cavs held one of Carolina's best players, six-foot point guard R.J. Davis, to just one of 14 shooting from the field, just one of eight on threes and 0 of six on twos. The Cavs defense is outstanding. The Cavs for this season, as of games through Saturday, were number nine in Division One men's basketball in KenPalm.com's adjusted defensive efficiency. But the Wahoos offense on Saturday was horrendous. Uh, the Who scored just 44 points, including just 16 points in the first half. This game marked the Who scoring fewer than 50 points for a third consecutive game. Uh, the Hoos went just 2 of 14 on threes, just 14 of 44 on twos, and just 10 of 15 on free throws. Now, it should be noted that North Carolina, believe it or not, is one of the best defensive teams in the country. Carolina for this season, as of games through Saturday, was number eight in Division I men's basketball and KenPalm.com's adjusted defensive efficiency. But UVA for this season, as of games through Saturday, was number 188 in Division I men's basketball and KenPalm.com's adjusted offensive efficiency, which is points per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. UVA's offense is really bad. Uh, the biggest bright spot 
for the team was 6'8 Merrimack transfer Jordan Miner. He in 24 minutes, 52 seconds as a starter, went 5-9 from the field, all twos and 2-3 two on free throws. He finished with 12 points and 10 rebounds, including six offensive boards. But whereas Miner went 5-9 of nine from the field, the rest of the Hoos went just 11 of 49 from the field. Uh, this was UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday evening. You know, offensively, yeah, it's hard. I, you know, we, we uh, were a little better in the second half, um, but, you know, they're really keying in on a few guys and really playing off of some others, and we tried to get some mo- more movement. Um, and again, some of those shots uh, we need to finish and, and knock them down, but you just um, you keep trying to get quality looks and work hard. But, uh, again, and they defend it well, too. Uh, you know, they had a, a week to prepare, and they were, they were right defensively, made it hard, and you can see why they're a, a good team. But... The effort was there. I told our guys after I said you, I said really good effort. You fought, and I said, I said you were smart some of the time, most of the time. I said, but but not enough of the time to you know smart soundness, and that's what I talk about playing is 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 hard with effort as you can, but you got to play as smart and sound. And I thought there were some stretches where we got a little scattered. Uh, and then a breakdown with a miscoverage or something, or even something offensively that we called cost us in a game like that. So, um, but great atmosphere, high quality team, um, and you know we just we'll, we'll keep going and get ready for the next one. And next up for Virginia at Boston College Wednesday night at nine. And also losing on Saturday was Virginia Tech. The Hokies for this season fell to fifteen and twelve overall and seven and nine in the ACC with a seventy nine sixty four loss at Pitt on Saturday evening. Fifth loss in seven games for Tech, which is seeing its NCAA tournament hopes uh, fade away. Uh, This game was tied at 42 in the second half, but the Hokies then allowed Pitt to go on a 22 run for an 18-point lead at 62-44. Two things really doomed Tech in this game. Discrepancy in three-point shooting and discrepancy in rebounding. Uh, The Hokies went just 3-20 on threes and allowed Pitt to go 9-21 on threes. And Tech got out-rebounded by Pitt 42-28. 6-1 point guard Sean Padula did score 26 points, but he had 26 of the Hokies' 64 points. So Padula in 34 minutes as a starter went just 1-4 on threes, but also 6-10 on twos and 11-13 on free throws. He finished with 26 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists versus just one turnover. Uh, The turnover has been an issue for Padula in ACC games this season, but was not on Saturday evening. Padula had a really nice game, but the majority of the rest of Tech's players did not have really nice games. A 6-3 Hunter Couture, he played for just 25 minutes as a starter due to foul trouble. Uh, he fouled out. Uh, Couture scored just seven points, one of four on threes, one of two on twos, two of two on free throws. Next up for Virginia Tech at Syracuse, a Tuesday night at seven. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can hit me up on X at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday's show, episode 771. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk Capitals. The camps are home to the Ottawa Senators Monday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Hoyas win!
Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Hoyas win! Hoyas win!